ABMP, Associated Bodywork Massage Professionals, is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from HealWell. Membership with ABMP offers comprehensive liability insurance, along with meaningful resources and support that make a difference in your career, including free CE in the ABMP Education Center, quick reference apps like 5-Minute Muscles and Pocket Pathology, Pocket Suite Scheduling and Booking Software, and the Inspirational Massage and Bodywork Magazine. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Hello and welcome to Interdisciplinary Heal Well's Healthcare Podcast, where we like to say the quiet parts loud and uh, lift up the voices that need to be lifted up and help us all be better humans and better at caring for our fellow humans and all the things. As always, we like to start with a little pun. You know, the guy who invented throat lozenges, lozenges died last week. There was no coffin at the funeral. Stop. Oh, God. <laughs> oh man. I didn't think we could have any more like bad death puns. But oh, and deaths. Wow. Uh, right? Boom. <laughs> My work is done here. Uh, I got nothing to say to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing. Uh, that's, I, that's awesome. I really, I feel like I really nailed it when like there's that, cause it wasn't a groaner, right? It's actually pretty funny. Um, yeah. But also, you know, yeah. Uh, so as, uh, many of you know, I'm Cal Cates and I am here with Corey Rivera and Rebecca Sturgeon. Uh, so we're three fifths of the Heal Well Leadership Brain Trust. And we are so excited about our guest today, who, as we always do, we are going to let introduce themselves. Uh, but I will tell you that our guest today is Francis Reed. Francis, welcome to Interdisciplinary. Tell us everything we should know about you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here on this topic. Um, so my name is Frances Reed. Um, I am a body worker uh, and a teacher and an activist in the trans community. Uh, I identify as trans and genderqueer and queer, all very important parts of my identity. I use they, them pronouns. The work that I do as a body worker is transition-related care. So I'm also doing primarily um, trans-affirming and trauma-informed care for folks in the queer and trans community. And the work I do as a teacher and instructor in the world uh, is teach uh, other holistic professionals to be more um, competent and able to provide uh, trans-affirming care to their clients. So I'm on a mission to get that information in the hands of more people because trans clients are there and they're coming in and they deserve to have space held for them. Uh, and the last thing I do is I'm a writer. Uh, I am about to publish a book on healthy binding, uh, which is a key thing uh, for trans masculine folks in presenting in the world as uh, to wear chest binders. And I am creating a resource about how to do that in a healthy way. So that's me. That's what I do. That's awesome. I, before we even get to 
what we've invited you to talk with us about, I am aware that you have used many words that may be new for our listeners. Um, queer being different from gender queer, but even queer being a thing that a person would proudly say they are. I think for many people, they're like, what is that all about? Um, so if you will share with us a little bit about queer and gender queer, and also uh, transmasculine, I think is a word that a lot of people are not familiar with. So catch us up so we can uh, understand that before we even get into the ways that you would have to change yourself to hide or accentuate <laughs> those aspects. Absolutely. Now we're, ab we're so in my wheelhouse, uh, do a little vocabulary. Um, so uh, yeah, I identify as transgender, genderqueer, and queer. And for me, what that means is I identify as transgender as the, um, the, the, the larger category of people whose gender uh, does not um, align with the gender they were assigned at birth. And so I, as a non-binary person, identif don't identify with male or female. Um, the term non-binary would generally describe me. And if people identify me as that, I have no problem with that. Um, there are many, many names that we um, create and people are creating more every day as, as gender gets expanded. But for me, uh, gender queer is the, is the term that sits most comfortably in, in my inner self um, because I feel like what I do that when I feel the most expressed in the world uh, is mix it all up. Um, and if I've got people scratching their head going, hmm, what is this person? Uh, then I know I've got, I'm in my sweet spot. I've found, I'm, I'm being seen in the world. Um, so that head scratcher moment is what I'm going for. Um, so genderqueer um, means different things to different people, but I think for most people that use it, it has some sense of mixing things up and a blend of gender uh, expression, which is what we put out into the world about our gender. Um, queer uh, is how I would describe my sexuality and my identity um, uh, sort of generally in the world. I am a queer. It is the identity I think I lead with in the, in the world. Um, and for me, um, queer is part of the LGBTQ umbrella of people whose sexuality is not heteronormative, meaning not heterosexual in the traditional sense that um, heterosexuality is, is sort of dominant in our culture. Um, and so, you know, my sexuality is outside of that, but I don't identify as a lesbian. I don't identify as a gay man. I don't identify as bisexual. Um, for, for gender reasons and for just general resonance, those aren't me. Um, queer, however, is um, <laughs> similar to my genderqueer identity. Queer is sort of a mixing it up. Um, and it's also um, embedded in that as a real culture of resistance. So there's a political um, social activism aspect of queer being um, not the norm, being non-normative and resistance-oriented and justice-focused in lots and lots of ways. And that is very much how I live my life and the people that I tend in my community um, tend to gather under that, um, under that identity. Um, certainly, just as a, as a vocabulary note, certainly 
you can, you will hear queer as an umbrella term for LGBTQ um, because it's a it's a nice convenient way to wrap everything up and include everybody. Um, and you know that's a that's a great purpose for the word. It's not the way that I use it to describe myself. And then transmasculine. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. Sure. I lost track. Transmasculine. <laughs> um, so, in the in the sort of spectrum of trans identity, um, even as much as we want to di uh, deconstruct the binary, there are still still directional moves within a gender spectrum. And so, when for me being transmasculine means that I was assigned female at birth. And though I don't identify as a man, my um, my trans identity, my my movement on the on the spectrum away from what I was uh, assigned at birth is in the masculine direction, um, and it is a term that can denote that directional move without implying a binary destination. So I am not a trans man. Um, I am a gender queer with a transmasculine direction. So often when I'm talking about folks, I'll talk about trans feminine folks and transmasculine folks. And that allows us to include everybody who is moving in one of those two directions. It's problematic because it is still rooted in the binary, but we live in a binary world and language requires uh, relying on older language. Yeah, well, and we live in a world that we've been duped to believe is binary, right? Like exactly. <laughs> we live in a world that is functioning as binary, whether we like it or not. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I was going to ask, uh, ask you, Francis, the question that everyone has either asked us first or um, we have asked them first, because this season we are talking about code switching. Um, and I would love it if we could have your definition, given that we're doing definitions, um, yes. <laughs> your definition of code switching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, code switching is really about deciding which aspect of my identity is gonna be present in the room and how I'm going, what choices I'm going to make about my expression that are going to support that for whatever purpose I need. So if I need to be more, you know, be very much seen as trans, what aspects of my trans identity are, am I putting forth in the room? Cause there are different ways in which that may manifest. And if I need to be uh, particularly for safety or whatever, if I need to be read um, as, my assigned sex at birth, then how am I going to manifest that publicly, manifest that outside of myself with expression? And how am I going to process the fact that I'm doing that on the inside? Um, and so for me, the code switching really is in the decision. I think of it as the decision about what I'm going to, what I'm going to do in that moment um, and, uh, and how I'm going to employ those those identities is, I think it's part of anytime you are um, a living in a fluid identity, it's part of how you navigate the world, you know, or a, a fluid or a dual identity. And, and this is certainly where it manifests for me. 
Is that a good enough definition that I that, do it? Of course it is. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and it really, basically, we just use it as a like, as you're talking with us about code switching, we want to understand what you think it means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah. And it appears that there is a wide array of definitions and places and ways that it fits. So um, I feel like that's very clarifying. <laughs> nice. It comes up, it seems to have come up with most of our guests and it has come up with us all talking with each other about code switching that there are maybe less times for those of us who big air bunnies would call ourselves self-aware, but where you just, you just do it. Like it just happens. And um, certainly as you start to pay attention to it, you start to notice like, oh, I just did this thing. And um, if you have some specific examples of when that happens, or even just the, like the physical dysphoria of like, oh, oh, oh wow, that was really frighteningly automatic. Mm, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, a lot of times, the reason I think of it as a decision is a lot of times I make that, I have that moment in response to how someone names me. So how I like hear that, whether that's a, you know, Miss Francis or a, you know, hi ladies, how is it, you know, how's your meal or, you know, and I get it coming at me. And then if I'm in a self-aware moment, I'm deciding, is it worth it? Do I want to tell this person? Do I want to correct this person? Is this environment a place where it even matters to me to be seen? Am I safe or unsafe? Being, you know, all those decisions in that moment. Um, but as you, as you aptly put it, Cal, so much of the time that just happens that just, you know, I'm going to be seen the way you want me to see, you want to see me, you know, just sort of. And so for me, that um, the, the one that, that really gets me kind of dysphorically is when I catch myself, um, you know, being automatically willing to erase my identity. Um, and, you know, for me, I think that has, that has come from a lot of feeling of the amount of work it is. Um, and, you know, so I've got an automatic, I've got an automatic thing that happens of like, you know, when I really know it doesn't like, it isn't something I, you know, I'm going to contend with in that moment. My, my whole body just sort of, okay. And to the dysphoria part of that, that's what it, that's what kind of gets me is when I realize the collapse I've done um, and the willingness that I have to let other people um, have a more easeful experience with an interaction with me than the priority of being seen and being known. And it's an interesting, particularly as someone who is very, you know, very active in, you know, trans identity, trans community, educating people about transness, you know, I feel a sense of sheepishness about the fact that sometimes I don't wanna. And sometimes I don't even think about not wanna, you know, I just don't. And I think, you know, what if my, what if my students or my clients could see me in this moment, just not fighting the fight. And, um, and so that happens a lot. 
uh, in different environments for sure. That makes me think about something that we were talking about with Chase, um, Chase Anderson about the the mental and cognitive and psychological burden of code switching mm-hmm. and um, how it's, it's the, the energy it takes to do. Um, but then the added for, for someone who, who um, is concerned about what other people think of them, um, like the added burden of that sort of backlash guilt, whatever, however you experience that feeling uh, when you choose not to. Um, or just don't have the energy to. Um, and it, it makes me curious about, we we had this conversation early in the season about, you know, if, if code switching is always a negative thing or always a, or a positive thing, is there a way in which it supports relationship or is it always destructive of a relationship? And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Great question. I um, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think um, my automatic association with code switching is to talk about the way in which it is invalidating. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up because it is something that can lean in so much to, to validation and, and being seen in a moment. And it's also a choice. It's a choice like, oh, I am moving from this environment that was very, um, mixed acquaintances, just the world at large into a community of my own where whether it's my close people or just a a queer or progressive environment where in the same way, those automatic decisions are like, oh yeah, I'm here. Like I don't have to hide anything. And then it just sort of has a natural um, expression. And so there's that that very subtle piece that's just about the body language and the names I use and things like that, that can happen, you know, really moving from just one, (laughs) one room to the next, you know, I mean, think about like being, you know, at a conference or something, and then all of a sudden you're with your queers and (sighs) take off all the like overcoat, you know, take off all the other stuff. (laughs) Um, and for me, there's another, there's a, there's a sort of an, a, another tier to that, which is I get even more into a safe inner circle where the gender queer, the really mixing it up, you know, the real queering of that um, is, em- is embraced and loved. And it's very much a part of who I am in some of those smaller communities. And so really flamboyantly mixing the things because it's safe enough to do that. Because if I really mix, you know, thinking about wardrobe or makeup or hair, if I really mix those things up in some of those environments that are, you know, I really know who I've got there, I'm the most seen and I can make those choices. And then people are really seeing the like and celebrating the like head scratchy quality of, hmm, what are what are we here? Um, and it's, you know, it's usually in a group where that question kind of, you know, that question doesn't matter. Like it's, it's like, oh, you are whoever you are in this moment. Um, so, ba- you know, basically there's these tiers of, of how I can use it um, for my own affirmation. Another example of a place that I'm, that I use it for a positive 
it's sort of a blend. Um, and this gets to um, my, my professional, one aspect of my professional life, which is that when I teach, um, I really, I'm often teaching to people who don't have a lot of um, existing um, familiarity with, with gender conversation and gender identity and, and may not know anyone else who is transgender. And so I think a lot about what am I going to present at the front of that room that is going to bring people into my gender journey, my gender expression, and, and challenge their notions of just um, my sex assigned at birth. And they're there in that class because they are already willing to do that. But that doesn't mean that all of those automatic judgments that we make that read in this binary world we're programmed to. So I have to play with that if I want that scene. And so I always wear a tie. I don't always wear a tie in a lot of other places in my life. And I'm a pretty casual person. But. I know that if I wear a tie with my button down, people are having to do more with the dissonance between, oh, I can tell from their voice and their hair, they're assigned female at birth. Like I don't, I, I'm not, I don't pass as a cis assumed person, cis being um, gender aligning with the sex you were assigned at birth. I don't pass and I don't want to pass, but I need people to see something that makes them challenge that. So I use that, but then I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be too easy for people to run to the other end of the binary spectrum. So I wear eye makeup and that is a very intentional set of choices that isn't about the negative. It isn't about staying safe in an unsafe environment or dealing with people who are exhaustingly misgendering me. It's very much about, I have this toolbox of gender expression and I'm gonna choose which things bring my audience in that case, along with me where, where I wanna be seen. I feel like this idea of, um, there might be a question in here, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I was talking with a friend uh, earlier this week about who uses all pronouns. Mm -hmm. And I was asking them about like, so how does that work? You know, do you, because I feel sometimes I know trans people and genderqueer people who almost are in like this gotcha game with people who aren't um, well-versed and that, you know, like I met a person at a conference who used all pronouns and basically expected the people who saw them to know kind of how they were presenting at the time and to use the right pronoun. And I'm like, that feels like a setup. Like that's not going to um, sort of <laughs> like endear you to anyone or necessarily even educate about, you know, what we're talking about here. But this idea that, you know, so I've certainly had that experience where you're in a place where you're like, oh, these are my queers. Like, this is my, these are my people. Like, I am going to be fully me in my external presentation and the way I talk and all the things. Um, but that I find it really interesting that, like, so you're in this environment where the mirrors you're looking in are saying, this is good. Like, this is amazing. This is whatever. And that, like, 
when you walk out of that conference hall or like you wouldn't, you wouldn't dress that way necessarily to like go to the grocery store and that the, the environment, like how do we move to a place where you are you regardless and that there is less of a, you know, I don't think it's about like, you suck, I'm great. But that actually what I'm seeing in your eyes doesn't actually tell me who I am. And that I feel like in, in my experience, my ability to just be who I am without that fight piece um, improves, strengthens in direct proportion to my ability to integrate the truth that we are all in prison, basically. And that like, even the people who quote unquote look comfortable in their gender presentation or, you know, in their bodies, which I don't know that I actually know that many people like that, <laughs> but um, that that may have something to do with the worlds we've run in Cal <laughs> could, could be. Um, but I but, think it's also true in a big way globally. Yeah. Well, and I, I do, I mean, in our capitalist fast fashion you know, we could list all the things that are setting us up to be really invested in how we look and what the way we look says about who we are. Um, and I feel like this is the big question about all of this is sort of, it really is about what stories do I tell when I see you and how accurate are those stories? And when you think about code switching, I mean, I was listening to you talk and I was thinking that like, there's work if you do it and there's also work if you don't, if you, if you don't quote fit the norm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to allow someone to misgender me, because as you aptly said, sometimes it's not worth it to be you like, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, it's not worth it to actually stand up for my existence, um, which is not an uncommon situation. I have a number of times in my life where I'm like, I'm not going to get into this. You know, yep. you can just she me all day. And like, mm-hmm. we're, this is the end of us. Like, well, there's no relationship happening after right. this, but But that is, there is an internal exhaustion with like, yeah, I just let that happen. And I mean, there's a self-preservation to it, but I find that it's sort of like the other side of exhausting to be the advocate and to say like, actually my pronouns are they and them. And this is what that means. And, you know, like, so yeah, you can't, you can't escape. No, you can't escape it. Absolutely not. And like the work that that you referred to about the sort of more internal, like if I do let it happen in the internal work, you know, I'm a body worker. So I think about how I hold stuff in my body. And so I really think about those moments and how there is, there is this sort of like slimed feeling in my body. And I have to find a way to get, get that out. Um, Two examples that I, I think are really apt for this So one is the other day um, I'm renovating my house and I had um, some folks doing demolition and I'm supervising this crew of of three guys and um, two of them just insist on calling me Miss Francis. Culturally, the power dynamics at play, I completely understand why that's happening. However, I would rather be she'd all day long than be miss anything. That for me, the dysphoria of, of words like <laughs> Miss Francis and ladies yes. is the worst. And it it is like the slime that is the, the stickiest of all slime. It's the one that's hardest to get off. And I found that in the middle of that day, 
you know, I had, I, I, I certainly wasn't going to try and explain this. There was language barrier with one of them. Like I was not going to make this part of our day. I needed them to bust up a bathroom. But in the middle of the day, I had to leave the house and get on the phone with somebody who I could say, I just hate it. I hate it so much. I hate it, hate it, hate it. <laughs> and I had to, you know, go for a walk and just be with the fact that like, I have heard this word this many times all day and it's just gross. Um, and, and another example of how physical it is, and this one actually caught me off guard and I, I came up with this explanation of it, just trying to process and name what was happening in my body. But I went to um, a family wedding and um, my family's from Texas. So I go home to a Baptist family wedding at Baylor University. You know, it's about, wow. as, it's about as conservative of a, well, my, my, my family is not as conservative as you could be in that context, but definitely I felt like I was not going to be, my gender was not going to be openly seen by the guests at this wedding. My family, however, does know my gender and does know that I use they, them pronouns. They're not very good at, at using them and they, they don't get a lot of practice because I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time with them. So my expectations were, were, were properly low, but I went in and I didn't think about how often I would be introduced as a niece or a granddaughter yeah. or a daughter. And those words were so much harder than I expected. And I hadn't really prepared myself for them. It's not something I come across very often. And so after the, the reception and the, I, I don't know, after many, many hours of being in this, I I had to go by myself and find a queer coffee shop somewhere in the city. Like I literally, it was just like, I have to find some place where I can just exhale for a little bit. Um, and luckily I found one and I, I sat there and what I came to name was that every time somebody said one of those words, it was like a little, <gasps> right? Like somebody says something you don't like, or you hear something terrible and you make that <gasps> little gasp of air. And it was as though I couldn't exhale any of those. And so in the course of six hours, gosh, you know, a hundred times, it felt like in my body I had done and stored it. And by the end of that time, the needing to get into a queer space and to get by myself was to literally make my body exhale all of those little seizing ups. Um, and that's, you know, that is a lot of work, right? Like who else had to go find a specialized coffee shop in between the reception and the wedding? Nobody else in the wedding did that. Nobody. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, it, it gets so in, in the body and, you know, the opposite is true. There's a euphoria when you do get to put your true self out there and it's validated and you're like, I could just, I'm on top of the world. And <laughs> that's, you know, that is the other side of it, but it is really physical. Yeah. Well, and I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, I think people, uh, people don't understand like with asthma, when you have a serious adverse effect or people die from asthma, it's because they can't exhale. Yeah. And I just think about all mm. the little 
like, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that you do hold that. And, you know, it was interesting that you said, like, I'm going to this wedding in this place. And like, you sort of gave us all these adjectives and descriptors that made our stories go right. And, and that you said that your gender wouldn't be, I think something like fully seen and your gender would be actively unseen. Like people would go, I don't know what this is. I'm going to see what's seeable. And Mm -hmm. if, if I can't see that, I'm just, I'm still going to pretend that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. And it's like an active rejection. Um, Yeah. And your listeners can't see me, but I have facial hair. I have a mustache and a beard and (laughs) I'm still red as a woman in situations where people just cannot cannot see an in-between and they have to pick a category and they're not willing to they're not willing to break open and and maybe in that moment have absolutely no tools to break that open and the best they can do is weird woman weird woman right woman woman who's okay enough with the fact that she grows facial hair to just wear it proudly i don't know like right i mean I, I guess I definitely know they think I'm, I'm challenging beauty standards. <laughs> yes. I guess that's my little, my little bit of being seen, but yeah. Well, and I love that even in that place, you didn't have to drive 80 miles to find a bunch of queers. This is the thing, like we're everywhere. Yeah. We don't all walk around with facial hair or things that like cue you in to mm-hmm. our sense that we're somewhere other than where you belong on the spectrum, but queers are not limited to cities. Yeah. Queers are not like you're probably sitting next to a queer right now. Yeah. Yeah. When people tell me they don't, they've, they've never met a trans person. I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. You don't sure. know that you've met a trans you person. You don't know that you've met a trans person, but yeah, I was in Waco, Texas and I was still the weirdest person in that queer coffee shop. <laughs> let me tell you my yeah. my washington dc queer trans self was bringing it pushing but the envelope i could i knew there was a there was an all gender sign on the bathroom there were little sign, you know there were rainbow flag and trans flag sitting it was june sitting in the tip jar or whatever at the counter you know the the signs were there and that was enough because i knew this is a place where the queers are. And if yeah. you're queer, you, you know the importance of finding that. And mm-hmm. often if I'm going somewhere, I will locate that ahead of time. So I know, you know, yes. particularly if it's a place where I feel like it could be challenging to be my true self. <laughs> you need to know where the first aid tent is. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. So Perfect. when you're, when you're talking with people, you know, you were talking about how you use your outward presentation to sort of uh, my words, like demonstrate the spectrum when you're teaching people who maybe are new to this. Um, and I wonder, we were just talking in a committee that I serve on last night about the difference between, uh, in this case, it's a diversity, equity, and belonging committee. So the difference between centering white comfort and Tightering your message, knowing that your message is going to be hard to receive. Like, mm-hmm. where's the line of code switching versus like, I will lose you if I assume that you're where I am. And how much time do we have? What's the context? Like, mm-hmm. am I 
am I denying parts of myself or am I keeping them in reserve? Because you're not ready for all of this yet. Like, yeah. and <laughs> how does that, <laughs> how does that work in your, yeah. yeah there's all a lot the, here, uh, right. <laughs> You're going to really be ready for all of it. I mean, and who could be, honestly? I am a huge proponent of meeting people where they're at and making small gains. I believe that's how we're, how, that's how we change the world around identity schisms that we're dealing with. Um, and I don't think that is everybody's sweet spot. Like, I don't think every personality, every person's trauma history, I don't think everybody needs to be in that same place, but I'm an educator. I'm a healer. I'm an, you know, I'm an activist, like how I choose to interact with people is never separate from those identities. And so I feel very, very called to consider that titration. And when I teach, I'm titrating because I'm really, that's my goal. And that's what I welcome people into is you don't know all this stuff. Come, I will be the person who answers the questions. And then I'll tell you, Hey, don't ask that to somebody. And I'll help you learn that. Right. And so I believe that is my role. Um, and, and I have found that to be where I'm most effective. Um, but I, I'm also very aware. Um, and sometimes it's really hard for me um, that uh, that people really don't um, don't want to be. Well, like you said, centering white experience versus titrating, you know, I think there are a lot of people in my community who feel like when we don't do the um, the gotcha moment that you referred to earlier, yeah. when we don't say, you know, somebody gets your pronoun wrong once, that's okay, but by but the second time, bam, shut it down. What I'd say about that moment is, um, this is a new language, and just like I still can't get the past participle tense of Spanish, right? And I knew I learned Spanish 30 years ago. I believe that people need practice and compassion and an understanding from uh, those of us who are trans or do use um, pronouns because that's the place we interact with this the most. Um, pronouns that are um, gender neutral or, or, or different from assignment at birth. I think the, I think that what we, I, you know, it's my personal calling to be that. And I worry that younger than me as queers are younger, they grew up in environments where everybody was giving their pronouns at the first day of class. Yeah. Like, that is unfathomable. <laughs> and if you go just, you know, five years younger than me, yeah, I'm 44. Yeah. You can, if you get just barely into the thirties, you're dealing with people depending on where they grew up for whom that is so norm normative. Like that is yeah. so what they expect. And then they, you know, then you're interacting with somebody in their forties or their fifties or their sixties where that was not their language maybe language they've not encountered yet and truly unimaginable. And the compassion for that and the 
the the willingness to be in that with those people is as I go younger, there's less, there's less understanding and there's less willingness to be with that. Um, and I'm afraid of where that's going to take us because in the, my classes who, you know, often it's forties, fifties, sixties folks, um, who one every single class, somebody, at least one will talk to me about the, the time that they got schooled. Yeah. And it was so painful. And what it made them do was want to avoid any interaction with queer and trans clients or neighbors or whatever. Yeah. And it's so sad to me because they really, they've come to my class and they're creeping back into a willingness to learn from a big place of pain. Yeah. So I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one though, because it's, you know, personalities are different. And for some people that sense of, nope, not going to let you get away with nothing. Okay. That's, that's that person's true self in the world. So how do I balance that? Yeah. So I have what I hope will turn out to be a question. Um, about that as um you know a cis person a cis old person i'm in my 50s um so i am and grew up in kentucky so both culturally and generationally i'm very much of that generation it's just like okay so what is going on here right now um and i am wondering about i'm going to try to pull in your background with trauma-informed care let's see if i can do it Um, (laughs) I am wondering about like where, what you are doing and your compassion for people of my age and older and my generation, um, and our sort of ignorance, um, around this, um, and being willing to kind of meet us where we are to educate, to, um, answer, I assume the same question a hundred times, um, and probably thousands of times more where that meets what you were talking about earlier, what happened in Texas with your family and your body and that, that um, negative effects on your body and like the ongoing um, effects that can be, you know, big T, little T trauma um, for the queer community. Like where do those two things meet in a way where either you have to say, okay, that's enough. Now, um, you know, now you get to stop being ignorant because it's hurting me. Um, and, and where, where I have to, or, or people in, you know, of my background have to sit with our discomfort because, um, you know, the, the, the queer people are, are tired of helping us. Basically, I think of all the of all the the black folks that we've heard from who've been like, you know what, white people figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder about that intersection for you. So the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about uh, doing the work with older folks, and that what I read that as is my my teaching work, um, and the big difference is. If you're paying me to be the person who teaches you, we have 
created a different dynamic where I'm showing up because you value my ability to help you learn, right? Like I'm coming into this space. I know I'm coming into this space to educate. I have put on the proper armor. I have taken those deep breaths so that I can exhale. It's a completely different headspace and I don't get offended. I mean, I have, I do make the offer to my, to my classes every time, ask the question here that you're not sure you can ask elsewhere because I will hear it, answer it, and then I'll be honest with you. And though I've had some really not very sensitive questions and they don't, have that effect on me because I'm there to do that work with you. Um, and I have the power in that situation to say, thank you. We're going to move on to the next question. You know, I have the control of, okay, you've gone too far or you're just resistant, which is one of the things that can be really a lot of work is that when somebody asks you or needs some, some education in just general life. Um, and they're resistant to taking what you offer. it's like, look, you just asked me and now I'm telling you, and you're telling me why that's grammatically incorrect, or that's not actually how biology works or, you know, no, don't ask in order to argue. If you want to, if you want to spar about it, you need to tell me that we're going to spar about it and then I'll decide whether or not I'm in. So, you know, that piece I have, I have control and I, I find that when I'm, when I'm in a conversation that is outside my class with the very, with exactly the same profile of person um, who has not just chosen to buy a ticket to a workshop to learn this, but they have a lot of the same baggage and beliefs, um, you know, in in a bar or at a coffee shop or, you know, just the random places that you end up in those conversations. um, I find that I can't get out of them. Mm. They're very hard. People are so hungry for the information. And I am such a natural teacher that I will start with a very patient about of, you know, being in their conversation. And then I'm extracting and it's hard to get out, whether it's because the resistance is there or the like, wait, 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 you're the first teacher ever. Um, And I actually started a class that was, is called Gender Identity Decoded because I needed a class for all the people who wouldn't stop asking me. So I could say, you know, I offer most of them for, for, for body workers and holistic professionals. So I couldn't say, come take my class on that because there's so much you don't need. So I made this other class so that I could say, oh, you just want to know how to be, you know, your niece just, just came out or your the neighbor down the block, or you just want that, that level of information. I've got a place for you because you need to let me leave. <laughs> right. right. I really have to pee now. I have, yeah. Yeah. I have to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I mean, your question was really about how I deal with it in my body. And I, you know, and I think that's, I think those situations where I get caught off guard and I have to take all of that in 
it's really striking because it's the same person that I can have all that compassion for in my class. And the context means everything. I feel like I, I, there's a double whammy too with those, with those questions that really are like, like for real, did you just for real ask that? Because in a classroom setting, the double whammy is a little bit less, but it puts in such stark relief how willing people are to believe the stories of gender, of binary, of relationship or whatever, like the types of questions people ask sometimes I'm like, wow, like you just told me so much about what you believe about whatever this is that you just asked me about. And I, you are representative Mm -hmm. of a large proportion of people that feels heavier than even like the personal assault of like, wow, it's no business of yours. Like which bathroom I'm going to use or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, wow, you just can't even like fathom my existence. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's a, you know, there's a gaslighting in that for, for us on the receiving end, like, yeah. wait, there's a whole portion of the world that doesn't think I I exist the way right. I exist. Yeah. Um, I, I, I totally know what you mean about that moment where it dawns on you that they're representative because then you're like, whoa, yeah. my bubble, like even my bubble of people I teach again, right? Self-selecting. You yes. Know? But yes. You, you meet somebody in some really out of the ordinary exchange and they, you get those questions or you get those reactions and you think, wow this actually is more common than the other. This is what's majority out there. Um, And of course, what we're seeing in, in the, you know, political pawn of trans identity now, I mean, it's, it's staring right at us that like for every one person that asks an awkward question, there's so many more that we're willing to say more hateful things. Right. Right. And aren't even curious. They're just like digging deeper into their assumptions and like doubling down. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca Sturgeon, podcast producer, going to break in here. And I hope that you are enjoying this conversation with Francis Reed as much as we did. We enjoyed it so much that we turned it into two episodes of the podcast. So you will hear more from Francis next week on Interdisciplinary. In the meanwhile, you can always continue this conversation with us at community.healwell.org. Uh, or send us an email, let us know what you think at podcast at healwell.org. And we hope that you will turn, tune in next week. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.